1: This podcast is dedicated to promoting the organization, its members, and events, as well as writers throughout Appalachia and beyond. And now, broadcasting from Atop a Hill in Mercer County, here is your host, Eric Fritz Hughes. Thank you, Gertrude, and hola, listeners. Welcome to episode 48 of the West Virginia Writers Podcast. I'm your host, Eric Fritz Hughes. This is the first podcast of 2011 after a few weeks off, mostly to recover from holiday binging on my part and cheery duty. West Virginia Writers, though, has some big things in the coming weeks, for this podcast especially, including our first conference cast of the year. We're going to provide details on the upcoming summer conference, June 10th, 11th, and 12th at Cedar Lakes Conference Center in Ripley, West Virginia. We'll also provide the date when we will be open for registration for that conference, not just for West Virginia Writers' side of things, but also Cedar Lakes' side of things, as far as room reservations and meal plans go. Now, just like last year, that date of revelation and date of registration is going to be sooner rather than later, thanks primarily to the efforts of our president and conference organizer, Kat Pleska. Also, we're just about to the midway point of our annual writing competition, which is open for submissions through March the 15th. If you get them in after March 15th, we will still accept them through the end of March, but with a $2 late fee per entry. So if you'd like to get your entries in to us on the cheaper side of things, you need to have them postmarked by March 15th. You can find entry forms for the Adult and New Mountain Voices student contest at our website, wvwriters.org. For today's podcast, I'm playing four recorded live readings that I've actually had on hand for several months now. Back in June of this year, I was contacted by Tina Antolini, one of the producers of National Public Radio's program State of the Reunion. She was hoping we'd help get the word out that State of the Reunion was coming to West Virginia as part of their research into an episode devoted to Appalachia. That episode is now aired and features a look at some of the ongoing concerns with mountaintop removal and how it affects communities. It also features a look at my own neck of the state, Mercer County, with a focus on the Riff Raff Arts Collective in downtown Princeton. One of the regular features of State of the Reunion, though, is its Dear City Letters section, where average people read letters they've written to their own city. West Virginia writers helped publicize their search for Dear City Letters, and we also invited our listeners to phone in to the podcast hotline with their own to share. Today's show features the ones we collected. Now, three of the four readers are actually former guests of the show and or hosts of this very podcast, in the case of myself. The first person is Joey Medea. He's the resident playwright and artistic director of New Mystics Theatre Company in Fairmont. He is also the author of Jester Night, which was a book we featured an excerpt of as a recorded live reading in episode 14. Our second reader is Sal Batacci from Princeton. He's the author of a number of books of poetry, including A Dusting of Starfall. His most recent books include A Family of Sicilians and Flashing My Shorts, which is a collection of his flash fiction. We featured Sal in a poetry-recorded live reading on bonus show number seven. Our third reader is new to the program, but a longtime member of West Virginia Writers. Her name is Christine Atwell. She's a writer and author of the book Natural Remedies for Menstrual Cramps, and she lives in Alderson. I had intended to contribute a letter of my own to the podcast, but since Sal Batacci and I both live in Princeton, I decided to give him the honors in that regard, so I'll include one about my previous place of residence, Lewisburg, West Virginia. We now turn things over to Joey Medea for his Dear City Letter.
2: Dear Fairmont, For far too long have you slept silent. Like the locomotives that once ran the rails along your river, the world changed. With coal no longer king, you lost your steam. The firebox no longer tendered, you draped your dreams and sank in sleep. But we hear you, lady, waking, ready to rise again. In your Main Street vision vibrant, in your merchant morning meetings, in your feast of seven fishes, in your artists and educators, in your festival of blues where Johnny's still so good, in your buildings refacaded, in your people so determined. And to all those who doubt you, who speak of starts false started, of actions unenacted, of visions never vaulted, of plans and desks forgotten. They are staring at a memory, less of substance than ideas. They point to your caked makeup, your stained and stinking ball gown. They say the lady's faded, her best days in the past. But we hear you, lady bathing, shining up your skin. In the classes of your colleges, in the brushstrokes of your artists, in the bustle of your businesses, in the beckoning of your bridges, in the caring of your counsels, in the parables and gatherings, in plays played by your casts, We won't say you've held no secrets, in your belly, in your breast. We won't say your gown was spotless, even in your early days. But the prejudice and pride, the dealings, darken crimes, won't diminish your renewal, but remind us of what comes when the Lady is dishonored and we serve our baser needs. And we hear you, Lady, speaking of the promise of your past. In the Ford of frontier dreaming, in the mission hope redeeming, in the why to young men calling, in the shelters hunger feeding, in the courthouse law enduring, in the cafes thoughts exchanging, in parks and theaters celebrating. It's now time to clean the firebox of its century-old coal and find a finer fuel for you, Fairmont, one that burns clean and shining in the twin turbines of community and diversity. And as you stir awakening... Like locomotives newly steaming, we hear your words of warning. I can only be what you will make me.
0: Dear Princeton, thanks for making life almost heaven for me and my wife Sharon. Three years ago, after my retirement from teaching, we decided to move from our home in Lodi, New Jersey... Sharon could hardly believe I would leave my roots and head south for the mountains of West Virginia. Born and raised in war, the southernmost city of West Virginia, Sharon was convinced we'd be stuck in Lodi for the rest of our lives. I told her the story of my first visit to West Virginia when I was only 15 years old. My late brother Al had just married a girl from Crab Orchard, and they took me along to meet her family. It was love at first sight. West Virginia was so beautiful that I turned to my brother and predicted, someday, I'm going to live here. Of course, he smiled, having no faith at all in my prophetic words. It took me 50 years, but that dream came true. Princeton, you were not the first city we considered. Martinsburg and Morgantown were high on the list. But when we visited both of them, something was missing for us. They were lovely cities. Make no mistake about that. But they were not my city. The place I could imagine myself finding inner peace. I knew I wanted more than anything else in the world. I was familiar with your name. I I read poetry at the Princeton University bookstore in Princeton, New Jersey. A good friend of mine lives in Princeton, Missouri. All three Princeton's we're county seats in a county named Mercer. So, finding Princeton on the map, we drove there, and something clicked. This is it, I told Sharon. This is where I want to hang my hat and my heart. Sometimes love is unexplainable. We feel something inside, an affirmation perhaps that this is real, and we head towards the light. Princeton, you are that light for us. You are that city we want to fall asleep in at night and wake up in each new dawn. It is your streets we delight in walking. Your residents we greet and with whom we share joys and sorrows. We are so happy to have at last found a home in a city like you. Princeton, may God bless your first 100 years with many more centuries to come. Salvatore Butacci, proud resident of Princeton, West Virginia.
3: Dear Alderson, my introduction to you in the 1970s started out a bit shaky. A man pointing a rifle at my family walked up to our powder blue rambler and asked what we were doing at Alderson Prison Camp. Just doing some sightseeing, my dad replied. He wasn't afraid of getting shot because he knew armed guards patrolled the prison and thought none of them would hurt tourists who stayed in their vehicle. You'll have to leave now, the man said, still pointing his rifle at our family. Turn around in the parking lot, but don't go near the building. After my family left the prison grounds, we saw your beautiful architecture And the kids and my family went on the swings in your park. We stopped to look at one of your towering trees, one of the oldest oaks in the state. Crossing your new bridge on foot, my family looked down into the Rocky River. Since it was a hot day, we stopped for your ice cream. Stopping at the cemetery just outside of town, we looked in every direction and saw tree-covered mountains. My family was from Illinois and had gone to visit my brother Tom in South Carolina. On our way home, my dad decided to see the stretch of I-64 that had been completed. Taking the detour, my dad introduced us to you and the surrounding area. Then our dad took us to your not-so-nice part a street that had stop signs so faded that they no longer were red. Decades later, I moved to Alderson. I went down that same side street, and that stop signs were even more faded than they had been years before because you have been neglecting your responsibility of replacing them. The state only takes care of the signs on the major roads, The drivers on the roads with faded stop signs must be good drivers because I haven't heard of accidents on those roads. But if someone were to drive through an intersection without stopping because they didn't see the faded sign, then you would be at fault. I always heard, ask and it will be given to you, and a stitch in time saves nine. So you should ask the state and federal government for money. When will you ask? Sincerely, Christine Atwell.
1: Dear Lewisburg, Long time no see. I miss you. I know, I've only been gone for three years now, but I still can't get you out of my head. Sure, I visit often enough, but it's not the same as living near you. Of course, my feelings for you weren't always so solid. When we first learned that my wife had been accepted to your osteopathic school, we were thrilled. She'd been trying to get into med school for three years, and we'd almost given up. But whenever we told people in North Carolina that we were moving to West Virginia, to a person they would shake their heads and say, I'm so sorry. We'd had no preconceived notions of our own about what the state might hold for us. We were barely aware of the stereotypes, and would have been hard-pressed to tell you what state or states the Hatfields and McCoy's conflict had even occurred in. We could only imagine the horrors that would give everyone such a negative reaction to our move. Lewisburg, my first introduction to you was in June of 2001, when we came to find an apartment. We enjoyed the beautiful countryside on our drive in, and you didn't seem to be horrible on first glance. In fact, you were downright picturesque but who could really tell? We had very little money then, so we stayed in a tent in a nearby campground. And because we were afraid of roaming charges on our North Carolina-based Verizon cell phones, we spent a lot of time on a payphone in a -a Save-A-Lot parking lot looking for apartment listings. We found out quickly we were probably two months too late as the vacant apartments were thin on the ground. Lewisburg? I have to admit that standing at that Save-A-Lot payphone in the sweltering parking lot with strange families of people, often with ZZ Top-style beards parading in and out of the store, I had more than a little uncertainty in my head. I couldn't see your charm yet, nor that of the state of West Virginia itself, and was beginning to suspect this whole moving-to-the-mountain state idea might be a fool's errand. We did eventually find an apartment, located down twisty, windy, one-lane Berry Road, and a small group of apartments stuck on the side of what turned out to be a very peaceful, hilly cow pasture. In fact, folks can even see a picture of our view from the backyard on West Virginia Writers' Officers and Staff page. My employment in a local public library might not have been what I envisioned for myself, but it did give me the chance to meet many of your citizens and see the kind of amazing characters that this state has produced, both good and bad, but mostly good. In Lewisburg, we quickly began to see not only your charm, but the charm of West Virginia. My wife's class in school was the last one to be able to experience the magic of Klingman's Market, a downtown Lewisburg institution where Miss Gwen Klingman was up at the crack of dawn each day making homestyle breakfasts and lunches, keeping the students and citizens well-fed on the cheap. A whole library of poetry could be written about Miss Gwen. Lewisburg, we also found that you were a magnet for artistic and creative expression. Be it the fine arts found in your many galleries, or the performing arts found in the dramas and comedies of the Greenbrier Valley Theater, dance and cinema at the Lewis Theater, and concerts and events at Carnegie Hall. And this shy fellow even found the courage to join in and participate once in a while, from acting in plays to writing workshops by local authors such as Belinda Anderson, which led directly to my involvement with West Virginia writers. Eventually, I even began writing plays that were performed in the area myself. In Lewisburg, as amazing as you were at our arrival, you continued to grow and become even more awesome during our seven years in your care. In large part, this is due to your historic nature being so embraced and showcased by your citizenry. You're one of the oldest towns in the state, as well as the site of a civil war battle. But while you've cherished your history, you've also remained fluid enough to accept occasional change. It's a delicate balance, but one you've achieved and nurtured for decades. I'm not the only one who notices. Why else would you be featured as the current top-voted pick for coolest small town in America by BudgetTravel.com? When we first came to West Virginia, it was with no intention of making this a long-term home. Our plan was to get through med school and get out. But within months of our arrival, we found ourselves not only loving the town in which we lived, but falling in love with the overall state as well. Besides, my wife went to school because of the medical needs of rural communities like the ones she grew up in in Alaska. You don't get much more rural than West Virginia. Lewisburg, we miss you dearly and have taken a little part of you away with us, hoping to spread it wherever we go. And that wraps things up for our Dear City Letters podcast. We'll have more opportunities for our listeners to phone in with their stories and poems down the line. In the meantime, check out State of the Reunion's Appalachian Show, which we have linked at our podcast website, podcast.wvwriters.org. We'll also have links to the cities and the authors featured in this podcast. By the way, while you're up at our website, please take the listener survey that we have displayed in the right-hand sidebar. It'll help us get to know our listenership better. Our opening voiceover was provided by Marcus Vowell. Our show's theme music is used with permission by its composer Pops Walker, whose albums can be found at cdbaby.com. This podcast is a production of Mr. Herman's Production Company Limited and was recorded at Topa hill in Mercer County.